Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models episode 30. I'm Steve Kwan. And I'm his brother, Matt. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent BJJ approach. 30 episodes, that's a milestone. I'm actually shocked that we've gotten it this far. No, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> but it is crazy how it's all just sort of flown by. Yeah. I'm I'm not shocked that there was enough stuff to talk about. I'm just shocked that there are enough people who want to listen for 30 episodes. Pretty much. I mean, we're live here from our parents' house in the bedroom that we have both grown up in. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, we're still in that bedroom. You know, if you got if you guys want to throw some money at us, we could buy our own recording studio, but, you know, the bedroom's nice. Too. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Please help us. Yeah, yeah. Save us. We'll start a Patreon or something. Uh, so today we want today, Matt. Actually, this is your topic. We wanted to talk about double trouble. Yep. This is a term that is coined by the Danaher Death Squad. Although I, I when I, when Rob showed me this concept, we sort of called it controlling the free leg, and it pertained mostly to leg locks. Uh, but as as I kept applying this concept to other scenarios, I realized that it, it works for upper body attacks as well, uh, specifically controls and um, controls that lead to finishes. So it's definitely, uh, it could be a game changer if you're a leg locker who manages to submit people, but you know you struggle at the highest level to make your leg locks work. It could be something that once you try and look for this, um, it's totally going to change the way that you can control your opponent. And you know, the whole... The whole Danaher concept is control leading to submission, and that's the kind of framework that Rob has tried to bring with his uh, with the island top team leg lock system. Is essentially you have one leg entangled with your legs. Generally, that's the leg that is uh, all wedged up, and that's the leg you're trying to actually submit. And then the other leg you're controlling with your hands. So. Um, Using these using these control schemes, using the double trouble concept, it makes it very difficult for your partner to uh, or your opponent to escape, and then from there you'd be able to apply finishing holds. So interestingly, I didn't know that Danaher had a term for this. It's something that I independently realized is a good idea, and I practice it a lot. But I've always called it opposite side control, or opposite limb limb control, or opposite side wedges. And basically, what I mean is, if I'm going to have control of one of your limbs like an arm or a leg, I want to also simultaneously have control of the one on the other side to some degree. Now, this can mean that you actually have it tangled up somehow, or it can also just mean that you've got it wedged so that your opponent can't move it. Mm -hmm. But generally, this is a good idea because if you've got control of just someone's arm or their leg, they still have a lot of ability to rotate and manipulate their body. And worst case scenario, like if you're, you know, they can bring their other limb into play and start pushing away and making space. So... If, when you have someone's limb tied up and it's your primary you know, area of attack, by also attacking the opposite side, you can really restrict their motion and also open up a submission series where maybe you can apply attacks to the other side if the arm you're primarily attacking or the leg you're primarily attacking isn't working. Um, I'm not familiar with the exact definition of how Danaher describes this, Matt, but does that sound generally correct? Basically, yeah. Uh, Usually, I've heard him use the term to describe leg lock entanglement scenarios. So, so uh, a, a lot of what double trouble does is it prevents your opponent from spinning out and getting into base. So, mm -hmm. let's say we had the 411, which is a cross ashy position where I have access to an inside heel hook and I'm reaping with my with my outside leg. Uh, if I just if I get to the 411 and I immediately attack a heel hook, a big problem if my opponent knows how to escape correctly is they're going to turn and get in base, hide their heel, and then I'm basically trying to heel hook a spinning leg, um, and and 
one of the main things that went wrong there is my opponent achieved uh, alignment again by getting into base and by hiding their heal. So a big p- part of how you can defeat this defense is by uh, immediately, instead of trying to finish the heal hook once you get into the 411, look to control the far leg. And this, what this does is it... Um, It breaks your opponent's alignment by keeping their legs out of base. What this means is they have issues turning away from you, uh, which essentially means because you're controlling the far leg, your opponent's heel can't hide as well. And then from there, we're going to look for a a separation plan where you can get inside your your uh, in between your opponent's legs and start digging out the heel. So generally, in in terms of order of operations, you know, if you were on the bottom looking for leg entanglement, you would win the engagement phase by usually getting a grip or a two on one on your opponent's arm, enter your leg entanglement, get them to the ground, get their butt on the ground. Hopefully by then you've already got the free leg or you're going to look to control the free leg. Once you control the free leg, you're going to look to separate the legs and start beginning your digging mechanics. So that's kind of the 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 theme that runs through our leg lock system. And generally attacking people who are still in standing positions with leg locks, we haven't found too much success. And just because there's so much ability for somebody to be able to sp- do a sprinter's escape or just uh, keep their hips mobile and keep hiding their heel by way of being in base. And the reason why that works is because if someone is standing, their other leg is free. You don't have double trouble. Exactly. I've I've actually seen catastrophic injuries where guys try and do that. uh, You know, there's a like a calf slicer, but your opponent's in the sprinter's stance escape. I see very little success of this move at the highest level, and I actually see people applying this move get injured, hurting their own knees because the angle that they're trying to apply the pressure, and they're applying the pressure on someone who is, like I said, in full base, you know, and they're and they're able to kick their leg, leg strong and do a sprinter's escape. Um, you know, back back a few years ago when you would see leg locks work on a lot of even high level guys, I would be amazed on how these guys get leg locks, but uh, leg locked. But a lot of the time, it's because um, instead of getting up in base and untangling the leg entanglement, they tried to spin out. And what this does is it basically, you know. The way I describe this to people when I'm teaching uh, teaching alignment is is the term I use is base is a choice, right? If if you if you choose that you what you're going to do to defend a, a move is you're going to flop over and hope that you clear your knee or you you know you're going to fall to your side, you're basically sacrificing your alignment and your base. But if you if you're aware of alignment and you know that base is essentially a choice, if you come up in base and now start untangling levers and getting your knee line clear. It's a lot more effective and a lot more uh, it's a lot more economical in terms of energy usage and it's just a smarter way to clear your legs. So definitely it all falls back to alignment, you know, all the stuff that Ro- Professor Rob talks about that really is ingrained in every single concept that we use. Okay. So, okay. Essentially attacking someone who where their hip is off the ground is not easy. It's always better to try and sweep them to get their ass on the ground and immobilize their hip and ideally their knee. And then you're going to be able to really get a strong leg locking position. I do like to Ezekiel choke standing people sometimes, though, and it does work. <laughs> yes. I actually yes, KO'd like a guy Ezekiel's... once with a standing Ezekiel choke. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I literally just stood right in front of him and Ezekiel choked him standing. Uh, so just just to recap so that we're all clear on definitions, when we say double trouble, basically we mean you've got primary control over one leg or one arm, and in order to truly control the position, you also need to control the far leg or the far arm. And the reason why you need to do that is because if you fail to do so, your opponent still retains the ability to rotate, usually that means they're going to spin out of the move somehow, right? Now, in the case of what Danaher is talking about, he's primarily concerned with a leg lock system. Now, I know that's more your thing. If you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, that's all well and good, but I practice jujitsu the way that Master Helio intended, <laughs> and I, I don't engage in these filthy American leg locks, right? So, now, I, I know that there's a lot of people out there who share my mindset on this, and, and the, but the thing is, this is actually just as important if you're attacking the upper body as well. I mean, some examples, like if if what we're saying is when you attack arm A, you must also control arm B, that is applicable for everything. Like for example, if I want to arm bar you, Mm -hmm. the reason why we always say you need to pinch your 
your feet or cross your ankles on the far side, that's because that's what controls the far arm. If mm-hmm. you don't do that, your opponent will hitchhiker. Yeah. Um, if I want to Americana you, you guys are probably all quite aware of the fact that if I'm not sitting on the near side arm, if I just let my opponent keep their near side arm free... They can reach over and connect their hands and make life very difficult. Similarly, if I'm attacking a Kimura, um, usually the far side control is the ground with a Kimura. Usually you're relying on the ground to have that control. But if you don't have it, you've got to have something on the far side or your opponent is just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. Now, eventually with a Kimura, usually they will wind up rolling into a position where they can't roll anymore. And at that point, the, the far side is immobilized. But the point remains that without having far side control, if you've just got one limb, your opponent likely has the option to just keep rolling and escaping. So generally speaking, when you want to grab one limb, grab the limb on the other side as well. Yeah, what Rob what Rob refers to this as is um, rotational control. And a lot of the time this refers to controlling opposite corners of the body. It could mean, um, you know, and, and just, just to, you know, talk about the human body for a second, we've all talked about it. it's a torso four four levers and a head, right? And those levers are attached to corners of your body. So, you know, your arms are attached to your shoulders and your legs are attached to your hips. So if you can identify those four corners, your two hips and two shoulders um, as as ends of levers, uh, you can control those shoulders by by way of wrists um, and you can control the hips by way of of the ends of the legs, right? So uh, basically, if, if I have opposite corners controlled, I know that you won't be able to turn into me and you won't be able to turn away from me. And that's very important when it comes to taking the back and things like that. For instance, I, I wouldn't, you know, we've so far we've discussed like uh, the the arm bar position and, and the 411 position, but you can also use opposite side shoulder and hips. So if I had a Kimura on you on one side on and I was sort of in the crucifix position, I can take your back by hooking the opposite hip with my leg. Right. Or or if I couldn't get the hip, possibly I can control the opposite arm. I have two arms controlled. I'm in a crucifix. So mm-hmm. um, this is really important to get, to gain rotational control of your partner so that they can't spin away or spin toward you. Yeah. Almost every submission is going to involve uh, double trouble or opposite limb control. Like there are very few submissions. I can't even think of one really where you only control a limb on one side of your opponent's body. Like to give an example of what you just discussed, Matt, the bow and arrow choke is a submission where you control a near side leg and a far side arm, right? If you, if you lose one of those, your opponent can rotate out of it. Uh, so that's why you need them both. Most submissions require you to have control on both sides of the body. I can't really think of one where you only have control on one side of the body and that is sufficient so there is an example that i can use uh there's a kimura that i like to do from a diagonal angle from the top but my legs even though like you mentioned earlier they have to pin the the near the near arm they actually don't need to to control the near arm if i have good shoulder rotation but what they do need to do if they're not playing the role of pinning a lever they need to play the role of being in base so there are exceptions but you you definitely are not uh you're never not using your legs for something either you're going to use your legs to control and create wedges around uh your partner's shoulder or far shoulder or you're going to use your legs to to be in base so that your partner can't roll so you know they're they're off jujitsu's infinite there's so many scenarios these are just general rules and there's always exceptions to the rules but um for example like you know just being in like a crucifix position you have two arms controlling a limb uh the the one arm that you're you know kamoring or whatever you motorcycle grip and then the other arm you're using both legs so it's all it's all uh, in attempt to get rotational control um, and break your partner's base so that they can't move and uh, and limit mobility. Got it. Yeah, and an important thing to understand too is this is not just about submissions. Really, this is a control mechanism. Now, at the end of the day, if you have your opponent tied up that effectively, you're probably going to wind up with a submission. But really, the objective is to establish control and to prevent rotational escapes. Right? I mean, when I when we say rotational escapes, we're talking about how like from you know you had a good example from like a heel 
hook or a leg lock if the other leg is free the person can rotate out or get up in the base um, from an arm bar there's a hitchhiker escape from an omoplata you can roll from a kimura you can roll right generally speaking if you don't have double trouble there's probably going to be a way that your opponent can spin out of the move somehow Yep, exactly. And and that's this is one of the main things that Rob got when he went to New York to train with Eddie Cummings for a week is he trained with Eddie, uh learned a lot of what he's he was doing when he was training at Henzo's. This was a few years ago. And he came back with all these awesome concepts that he then essentially built his entire system upon and one of the biggest ones was double trouble because up until then he would get heel hooks and and uh and and finish a lot of people but it was you know he didn't have a lot of control mechanisms certainly not the concept of double trouble and he didn't have the mechanical break the the ideas of breaking mechanics and whatnot um and he's probably creating a lot of false positives for himself being able to heel hook people that actually don't know what they're doing um you know, when I first started introducing the leg lock system to guys at my club, I was getting tons of leg locks and just like, boom, heel hooks everywhere, everywhere, heel hooking everyone. Now I, I barely heel hook anyone at my club because the system is so ingrained in the guys that they, they kind of know what's going on at this point. They know the, they know the concept of double trouble and they know that I'm trying to use a, a control based leg lock system rather than a catch based leg lock system. So, um, you know, it's it's important to have both to be able to be a good submission artist, to, to be able to catch submissions, um, but more importantly, to be able to corner your opponent with control so that they don't have anywhere to go. And this is this is essentially the whole Danaher philosophy is is using something like double trouble to corner your opponent, giving them no options and then making, you know essentially ending the fight before it even finishes yeah yeah got it and another example of of double trouble that makes it useful is in addition to providing rotational control it also provides a plan b you know normally if you cannot for whatever reason complete the attack on your your choice you know on the first leg on the near side leg or the near side arm you can often switch to the far side uh, leg or the far side arm Uh, probably the most common example is if you're going for like a top side arm bar, if you are able to grab and control the other arm as well and pull that into you, first of all, it's going to defeat the common defense where people clasp their hands together. But second, if it's just not working, maybe they've got their arm on the inside and it's tucked and you just can't get it, you can do a 180 to the other side and then attack the other arm bar. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite moves to do from top position. Essentially straight jacketing is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly, right? The, the idea is that if my opponent is going to try to defend by clasping their arms together or their legs together somehow, I will pull their arms and legs together to force them into a straight jacket position and either finish from there or if I still can't switch to the other side. Even from um, from the feet, I mean, I do this a lot too. One of my favorite submissions when it involves the feet is the clover leaf because this often comes up for me where I have one leg, the person tries to bring the other leg in and tries to tangle themselves up to hide, and it's so easy to just tie up both of those legs and then ankle lock from a clover leaf. Yeah, it, I find I find the clover leaf at the highest level is a very difficult submission to finish, but there's no yeah. doubt that it's a very difficult uh leg entanglement to escape. Mm-hmm. It's if your partner if your opponent puts you there and you're stuck there, I think wrestlers call it the leg knot or the leg bundle. I'm not I'm not or the leg lace, I think they call it. Um it, it's it's really annoying because they're c- controlling two levers essentially with one of their arms and it's mm-hmm. it, you know it's it's very effective to to break your base and just you 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 are now if you get caught in that position, you do have to worry about, you know, getting your leg cranked a little bit even though it's going to be hard for your opponent to actually get a genuine break on your leg but it does keep you out of base and both levers to your hip are effectively controlled so i mean it is it's something that even though i find hard to finish i avoid trying to to get myself caught in there because it is annoying yeah yeah it's there's so much control on both legs that it's just really really hard to get out of it's a very powerful control position yeah and then and then if if your partner gets that situation you know they're not really in a rush anymore they can now start to think how am i going to get my my separation mechanism to get to a heel hook because that would be the next thing right get heel exposure and like i mentioned at the beginning of the episode if you're caught in double trouble because you can't spin freely of your you know independently of of your your partner 
you're ba- you basically can't hide your heel as well as you could normally if your free leg was was free, right? So so because you can't hide your heel, you're in way more danger if mm-hmm. your partner can separate your legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could it, like for for you leg lockers out there that maybe learned leg locks, you know, within the last 10 years and you kind of have a like a a catch like guys are always like, "Oh yeah, I'm a catch wrestler or I have a I have a, I do sambo or whatever." Like I'm not I'm not shitting on those arts, but they're definitely I think whole in their leg lock systems compared to what leg lockers are doing nowadays in the highest level of jiu-jitsu and a lot of it is based around control and double trouble and things like that so instead of having a catch based leg lock system where you see a foot and you dive on it it's more important i think to be able to find those situations where your partner literally has no options and then you can implement a submission attack from there got it got it makes sense um you know what this reminds me of um there's a a strategy i I can't remember exactly what it was called i think it was um let me look it up here but there it was something actually that uh josh waitskin brought up in that book the art of learning i think it was uh let me just actually look this up. Jamie, here. look that shit up. Yeah, I, I. You know what? I need someone who can just look this up for me. I think it was called. Um, <clears throat> it was either called like Jushuan or something. But basically, the strat. He was talking about a strategy where you create a dilemma for your opponent where all options suck. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Danaher yeah. talks about that too, and he literally just calls it a dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's basically what. But it's actually like a strategy from tr- a chess. It's a solid co- strategy in basically any kind of conflict any where combat. you're applying yeah. a strategy. You know, you want to give your opponent multiple options. All of which are bad. So Matt, up, no, up until now, we've talked a lot about alignment and this is kind of the core concept when it comes to the mechanics of jujitsu. How does double trouble fit into that framework? Well, in the case of a Kimura control um, or a crucifix situation, usually I'm going to get a crucifix from a Kimura control. I'm going to use the Kimura control to gain uh broken structure of my opponent by getting internal rotation of that shoulder and then my legs will try and control the far arm so um, you're breaking their structure by having Kimura control and having both levers controlled and then you're also going to be breaking um, their posture by being right behind them and having your torso wedging up behind their head hopefully making it impossible for them to get their head to the ground in terms of uh, like a 411 situation where you have both legs controlled you're not really going to have control of their posture but what you will have is both levers to the hip controlled. So obviously because you have those levers controlled, you have, uh, you have controlled their structure, but you've also taken away their base uh, because they don't have the ability to put either foot on the ground and this prevents them from turning left or right. So it's really important to, uh, to, to look at it in terms of alignment. And in this case, either way, we've, we've broken two out of the three main concepts of alignment. And that's going to lead to uh, either time to uh, look for a submission or just to keep control and keep keep transitioning from there. And we talked earlier about how the core mechanics of jiu-jitsu involve um, mechanical manipulations like levers, frames, and wedges. From my perspective, when it comes to utilizing double trouble, normally you're trying to attack a, a lever on the near side. You know, you're probably grabbing onto an arm or a leg. And on the far side, usually the thing that immobilizes the far side is it's often going to be a wedge on the other side. So in the case, for example, of an arm bar, you're either pinching your feet or you're crossing your ankles around your opponent's far arm to create a wedge. To me, that kind of wedge is the thing that enables double trouble to work and to restrict your opponent's rotational movement. The wedges are really the the concept that lead to control when we're talking about ashigarami and especially arm bars. You know, and and using using wedges. Let's say let's say you had Nashigarami from the bottom, and you have just one leg controlled, and you're trying to sweep your partner. If you don't control the other leg, they're going to keep rebasing, and they're, it's going to be very difficult to sweep them. But if you can control the other leg and essentially get that classic single leg X sweep, where you're bridging and and uh, turn, you know, pushing them sideways. They're not going to be able to rebase because you have con- both levers controlled to the hip. So mm-hmm. it just makes sweeps a lot better. And I think if you're looking to enter leg locks from the bottom, it's smart to be able to look for entries where you already have your opponent's other leg controlled by the time you hit the ground. This is, uh, this is one of the things that makes Danaher's system so good and certainly Rob's system so good is, is the fact that a lot of the sweeps, once hitting the ground, both legs are already controlled. So you're already in a situation where you can 
can essentially look for heal exposure. Yeah, yeah. Another thing to bear in mind, too, is if you like your opponent and you don't want to hurt them, one of the nice things about using Double Trouble and controlling their motion is a lot of injuries come from desperate attempts to to use rotational escapes, right? Yeah. Like especially when you're attacking the feet. People trying to do like a desperate spin, that's where injuries happen a lot of the time. So this is kind of a way to control the situation and be nice to your opponent. Um, I think it's also worth noting, we love John Danaher. We have no problem with John Danaher, but I just personally feel that our very own fake John Danaher is far better. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Yeah, we've, but... we've gotten pretty far into a John Danaher episode without yeah. actually doing fake John Danaher. So let's just keep it at that. Uh, let, let's, let, let's understand something. Oh, man. No, but honestly, like John Danaher... As much as I push the island top team leg lock system, mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that that came from that system are things that came from Eddie Cummings and, of course, from John Danaher. So, you know, he's he's a pioneer for sure. And when we shit on him, it's because we love him. And he's definitely influenced my game as much as, you know, I want to poke at him. If people from his camp get pissed that I'm doing this, then I'm amazed that our podcast has reached people from his camp. So I'll be <laughs> flattered. And uh, thank you, John Danaher, for your contributions yeah. to Jitsu. Uh, follow, by the way, following up on something I... Early, I mentioned earlier, I haven't been listening to anything Matt's been saying, so hopefully you guys have. Um, I've been <laughs> Googling what we were talking about earlier. Um, so, Zhushuang is a German word spelled... Sounds z- sounds Japanese. I know. It's spelled... Z- sorry, I'm Canadian here. It's spelled Z-U-G-Z-W-A-N-G. It is German, and it means compulsion to move. It is a situation found in chess and other games wherein one player is put at a disadvantage because they must make a move when they would prefer to pass and not move. So basically the fact that they say the fact that the player is compelled to move means that their position will become significantly yeah. weaker. A, p- a player is said to be in Zhushuang when any possible move will worsen their position. So that's basically what this is here, right? You're you're trying to create multiple threats so that the person doesn't really have a good option and anything that they do is going to put them in a, in a more dire situation. Yeah, it, I mean, if, if anyone wants to look at footage for this, look at uh, I mean, I would recommend Eddie Cummings. The only thing is Eddie Cummings finishes guys so fast it might be hard to see uh, a really great example would be when gordon fought cyborg at the last adcc he put him in the 411 and it was a slow constricting uh path to a leg lock and actually Danaher was on the Joe Rogan podcast and breaks it down as they're watching it and it's a really co- it's really cool to see if if it's a, if it's a new concept for you definitely check it out because uh I've rolled with Cyborg before and the guy you can't even move him and uh Gordon gets him in the 411 and and basically taps him out and makes him look like a complete amateur with the, with a heel hook uh and Danaher talks about it throughout the whole way so definitely look for that footage it's on YouTube got it got it so um Matt, you, you talked about how Double Trouble is a game changer once you get your head around it. And for, for me, from my personal perspective, you know, I used to always struggle with getting arm bars from the top. It always used to be that I would try to get the arm bar and the guy would either just manage to tuck his hand and get out or, you know, he'd, he'd be able to get out in some way. Whereas as soon as I started focusing on legitimately attacking the far arm as well, now nobody gets out of my topside arm bars. Um, tell Except me, white belts. Well, no, white belts are the ones who especially... They're the ones who don't get out, for sure. I'm just but kidding. all I do is roll with white belts because, you know, I, I want to be, like, gym world champion. Yeah, right? I, 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 I duck it. everybody. I basically take all of the stuff that we talk about, about being humble, and I just do the exact opposite. This is all just for show. If you're a white belt and you see <laughs> Steve in the mats, be careful. It's, yeah. it's time for the worlds. Yeah. <laughs> it's the mundials. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Matt, tell me a little bit about, from your perspective, how this principle of double trouble is a game changer. Like, what what mm. is it about this that's going to supercharge your game well i think the best part about it is it just uh it creates uh it immobilizes right it, it, like we talked about those levers are controlled to corners of the torso and by by using double trouble you immobilize opposite corners of your opponent's body it uh it, it basically means that your your opponent can't move they can't they can't move towards you they can't move away from you they can't get into base because they can't move they're they're in a more stationary situation it allows you to to have more control leading to submission it allows you to have more time to think uh in terms of leg locks it allows you to really get uh it really build an intimate understanding of what the your next goal is when you're trying to finish leg locks because for so long people were doing leg locks just snapping them on and trying to get quick leg locks and we've talked about how that's not a not necessarily the most intelligent way to approach a leg lock system so it, it just the fact of uh the immobilization and the fact that you 
you know your opponent can't turn towards you or away from you the the concept of rotational control and when you're on the back you know if you're on the weak side and you have a Kimura control and you have the full back if you can just trap your opponent's arm with your leg on the far side then they essentially have no arms to defend and you have a free arm to go for chokes or you can switch to arm bars or yeah. rear triangles so it's just so many options will open up yeah. by way of controlling levers and keeping your opponent it's out like of base Josh Wade I know we keep quoting him but Josh Wadeskin in his book had a great quote about how if you can find a way to control two of your opponent's limbs with one of yours you've got it made like yeah. there's basically nothing they can do that now that's not exactly applicable to the situation we're talking about here um, because you're probably using more than one of your limbs but you know generally speaking if you can find a way to control two limbs versus one it's going to be a big advantage for you Um, in terms of why I think this actually works from a mechanical level like we've talked in the past about how the human body is very malleable and adaptable when it comes to how you put pressure on it right you have you've got three joints in your in your arms and three joints in your legs and if you want to submit someone you've got to really lock all three of those joints if any of those joints still have the ability to move then your body can adapt and accommodate and pressure can bleed from one place to another so let's say we're taking an example of where I'm trying to attack an arm lock or a leg lock and I do not have double treble. I'm only focused on the near side. What's going to happen is like if it's an arm bar, I'll have control of your wrist and I'll have control of your elbow, but I will not be able to prevent your shoulder from rotating because if you're, if I am not pinning your far side shoulder, that means your near side shoulder can move. And if your near side shoulder can move, that means you can rotate and that means pressure can bleed. And it's going to be really hard for me to put breaking pressure on. Mm-hmm. But if I pin the far side of your body, then your torso cannot move anymore. That's and that right. means your shoulder is locked. Or if I'm attacking your leg, it means your hip is locked, right? The principle is the same if I'm going for like a, um, let's say I'm going for a foot lock. If I've, if I'm not controlling your far side leg, yes, I can lock <clears throat> your foot, I can lock your knee, but the person's hip can still rotate, and that's how those rotation escapes happen. Whereas by grabbing the far leg, if I can wedge that far leg, the torso can't turn, and that means that third joint can't move. And like we said earlier, if you wanna if you wanna put breaking pressure on an arm or a leg, all three of those joints have to be under your control. Yeah. And, you know, just the concept of controlling uh, both shoulders and the head when you're in the armbar position. And, and we were, I think we talked about it earlier. It helps you actually, if your opponent's clasping their arms, it helps you break the clasp and break their kinetic chain by pulling their, uh, by pulling their elbows closer together and straight jacketing them. So yeah, a lot of yeah. the time, if your opponent is like, I don't know, it's not the best armbar defense, like a gable grip or an it S is grip. It's a defense, like it's, people do it. Yeah, right? it's, it's definitely not the best one because the ends of levers are exposed, but it, you know, it can be annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, Rather than just reefing on their arm and trying to use strength to pry their hands open, usually what I'll do is try and control the far arm or, or the far tricep, pull their elbows closer together, and it, it pretty much makes it impossible to keep your hands clasped at this point. Yeah. So which which you could either go to a, uh, like a wrist lock or you could just finish the arm bar. Yeah, and people attempt similar things with the legs. It's a bit more difficult there, but you know, people will attempt to triangle their legs or whatever. And what they're what they're really trying to do is they're trying to create a kinetic chain. Like if you're if you're grabbing your hands <laughs> together to block an arm bar or you're triangling your legs to defend some sort of foot lock or whatever, you're basically trying to create a kinetic chain and that that can work. It can be very very annoying, but if you can get double trouble if you can control that far side you can often by pulling on the far side a lot of the time you can collapse that structure yeah absolutely i don't know how well that's going to work on like a leg triangle but from definitely if the person is grabbing their arms together if you grab on their far tricep and you pull it towards you it collapses that structure yes exactly Got it. Cool. So, I mean, general strategies, Matt, when it comes to like double trouble, I mean, we talked kind of about the goals and the strategies for this. Um, is there anything special you need to do like to get into this position to or to maintain this position? Are there any other like high level strategies that we should discuss? Well, like I said, um, when you're when you're thinking about how you can apply the concept of double trouble to you know, arm situations or leg situations. I think going into entries with that in mind is really important. Like if someone is single legging you and you switch off to the far side Kimura, use the Kimura trap. If you can lace the crucifix and then 
you know, pull your opponent on top of you or roll over into the crucifix, you're already going to be in a position where you have double trouble. Mm -hmm. Or if you're, you know, if you're entering um, like a reverse X position from the bottom, your partner's going to land in the 411 with the free leg already controlled. Uh, Mm -hmm. These are going to be, I think, the most effective entries because there's literally, if you do it correctly, it's the window of escape for your partner is very small. Um, that's gonna that's gonna create a lot less trouble for you later on when it goes to try and when it comes time to look for a, a leg lock and it's gonna basically just keep your partner uh, more immobilized right if, if you have to look for the free leg once you're already in the position and they know what they're doing good chance they're gonna spin get up in base and hide their heel so that's actually a really good point and something that um, I, I I'm really glad you brought up when you are going into a double trouble position what you don't want to do is try to get into the position and then start searching for the far leg or the far arm what you want to do is have that in mind and be pursuing that far leg or far arm as you're getting into the position like that's right the example for me where it really struck home was um, when I you know if I'm on top and I'm trying to like back step and then land in like a 411 a mistake I used to make is I would try to back back. I try to back step fall back and then try to go and grab grab that that far side leg and honestly a lot of the time it does work but it gives the opponent a massive massive opening to escape the better thing to do is try and grab that far leg while you're still on top right same thing for arm bars like if you're on top of your opponent before you try to you know before you fall back for the arm bar you want to grab that far arm and then control that as you're going for the arm bar you don't want to like try an arm bar the near side arm and then if it fails start trying to reach for the far side arm. exactly you want to collect both arms at the same time if you can yeah and 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 funny thing you should bring up the example of backstepping into the 411 a lot of the time what i think is even better is if you backstep into the 411 don't fall over at all like even if you even if you get the free leg mm-hmm. you might as well try and finish the heel hook from the top position and use the fact that you have gravity on your side to to pin the bottom leg it's it's you don't you know you might have the leg controlled in terms of double trouble but just if you apply your hip pressure properly and use uh use your top position the free leg will be controlled just by being on top and you can dig for the heel hook on top and 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 look for your finish while there so that would be a that would be one of those situations where base is a choice and falling over might be you know it might be a good plan b but it might not be 100 percent necessary to get the finish so i think you'll see a lot of guys digging leg locks while they're on top and and uh you know really the top position really really solid point one of the mental models that we've talked about before is committed techniques which is that you always want to be mindful of whether a technique is going to put you in a better or worse position at the end of the day right and i think everyone knows that you know we've at least i was always told if you're going to like arm bar the guy from the top you want to try to stay on top while exactly. you're arm barring. Exactly. You don't want to fall. You want to. It's okay to fall back, but you want to avoid that if you can, because at least if you're on top while you're arm barring, if it goes sideways, you're still on top. You still have base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I always used to find this to be impossible to do because if I tried to stay on top, the guy would bump me or he'd rotate out or something, and I could never do it. Um, and but eventually, I realized the thing that makes the difference is double trouble, because if you want to stay on top, if you only have one arm. Your opponent can wiggle and move underneath you and they can do all sorts of stuff. But if you have both arms, they're straight jacketed. They can't move. So you can sit on their chest all day long. So you're almost referring to like an S mount. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like the, <laughs> what my, I, I don't think anyone else uses this term, but my instructor always used to call this the manatee arm bar where now you know what I'm talking yeah. about because he used to train with on. So yeah. basically he's talking, uh, we're talking about the arm bar where you're like, you're on top an S mount and then you arm bar the guy, you throw your leg over and you're sitting on top of him while you arm bar him. And my, my instructor always called this the manatee armbar because it feels like there's a manatee sitting on you like there's a tremendous amount of top pressure but I could never get this because guys would just squirm and rotate or bump me and I couldn't get good base on top of them when I sat but I realized if I have double trouble and I'm controlling the far arm they can't move underneath me anymore yeah. I don't even have to be legitimately really doing anything to that far arm it just prevents them from making my base unsolid and, and by that way I can make this technique a lot less committed right whereas if I don't have double trouble, if I'm only focused on the near side arm and I ignore the far side one, he's probably going to get out and the risk of me losing that top position becomes much, much worse. Yeah, I, I love that arm bar. I, a lot of the time when, when I do it, I 
I actually, instead of stepping over the head, I like to pin my shin across the guy's face yes. and hook his jaw with my instep. And, and then stick I'll... your finger into his eye socket. <laughs> well, and soil yourself. Again, you're just sitting right on top Steve... of him and it's going to smell bad and make him uncomf- uncomfortable. Steve's describing him rolling with white belts again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, and in that position, I actually find more times than not, I do end up giving up my base, but uh, it's okay because you can totally roll through and still get the arm bar and, and I think a lot of people would call that a Russian arm bar hmm. when you sort of roll through like barrel roll style and then you still end up on top. It's, it's one of the main arm bars that I go to yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's definitely an yeah. awesome technique. But I, I do feel, and I don't know exactly how universal this is, I do feel like if you have double trouble, it's a lot easier to maintain top position. Like especially if you're attacking the oh, arms, yeah. right? It's a lot easier to maintain top position if you've got control of both arms. Yeah, well, well, you know, like if, if, you're, if you're in an S-mount position, and you're in the top position looking for an arm bar. It requires the far arm. It, it, it does require the far arm, but but you're because you have your leg as a wedge underneath your opponent's far arm, yeah. they can no longer build base onto their far elbow. Exactly. So they can't turn, right? So the, it all comes down to rotational control. When we're talking about double trouble, it limits your opponent opponent's ability to be able to to sporadically turn far, uh, turning away and towards you. Yeah, and you know this is actually just a good general rule. If you're having trouble keeping someone in a submission, one of the first things that you should ask yourself is, what can I do to control the other side of their body? Like some common examples of this, I think everyone has probably heard this. If you're trying to triangle someone on one side and it's not working, grab onto a leg or grab onto an arm or something on the other, like underhook that leg. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to arm bar somebody and it's not working, try to collapse that far arm. Or hook the leg, yeah. Yeah, this is a, a generally good principle. If you are not able to finish a submission, ask yourself, is there some way that I can control or prevent the other side of my opponent's body and prevent them from yeah. moving that? Like, I'm a big Kimura trap guy. I love mm-hmm. the Kimura. I think it's, uh, especially in, like, Nogi, when you're looking for, you don't have a lot of grips, but you're looking for strong control mechanisms, mm-hmm. like a two-on-one on on, um, on the shoulder and using rotational control on the on the shoulder is mm-hmm. it's one of the best ways. So, if I get into my Kimura trap, the first thing I'm doing, uh, I mean, aside from rotating the, the shoulder that I'm grabbing, the first thing I'm doing is what can I do with my legs to control the other portion, uh, the other uh, side of his body, whether it's going to be his far arm or his far hip. That, and then from there, just good things happen. You'll either end up with a crucifix or you're going to find yourself on the back. I mean, uh, exactly what you said, Steve, controlling the opposite side of the body is is you know, it just leads to more control and it leads to worse options for your partner. Yeah, yeah. And this can apply itself sometimes in weird and unpredictable ways. Like, uh, I've actually started focusing on this a lot more um, on the omoplata, for example, where so much, usually the, the omoplata is a weird move because normally you're so focused on the side of the body that's near to you. And it is, realistically, it is very hard with the omoplata to get control of the far side. That's actually, I think, one of the reasons why people have such trouble finishing the omoplata omoplata is because it is very hard to get double trouble from the omoplata but if you find a way to do it it'll finish it almost every time where i I think the reason people have they struggle with that move is because yeah i can tie up your your near side arm and maybe even your near side leg but your ability to roll and spin and stack and and do a running man escape is still so great um and and, and honestly one of the things about the omoplata is if i want to try to get far side control i kind of have to climb up on top of you and that in itself has its own series of risks. So, like, I, I've kind of stopped that whole game where you try to climb the guy from the omoplata because then you're tethering yourself to his body. And as we've discussed in the past, like, trying to tie yourself to the other guy, like, a, if he has base, trying to cling onto the guy like a backpack can actually be dangerous. Yeah, especially so, if they're bigger. Yeah, like, there, there was a time, I think I brought this up in the past, where before I was sparring against the guy, he wasn't even strong. He was, like, he was just this young kid. But honestly, he was big, like round, very, very rotund. <laughs> um, but I, I had him in an omoplata and he just postured back and he was just so heavy. It just like basically popped every bone in my neck. And at that point I thought, you know what? I'm never going to do this climbing omoplata again, where you try to climb up the guy like he's a mountain. So, but there, there's other ways though, that you can get that far side control, right? The, the trick with For the omoplata, sure. yeah, the trick with the omoplata is that you have to, a lot of the time, really the best strategy is force the guy to roll. And then when he's on the ground, then it's on, uh, it's a lot easier when you force him to roll to come up on top, then you can get that far side control and then just like re-roll really easy, right? Yeah, I, I think the re-roll is the best omoplata um, 
sort of system of attack. Yeah. The whole omoplata where you, you think you're going to enter the omoplata and kick the guy over and come up on top. It's like, it really doesn't happen like that no. at the highest level. Guys are so aware of that move. So it's really important to have predictable. Rea- Again, we've talked about predictable reactions in the past. When you're, when you're incorporating a new technique, you always want to think, what are the possible things yeah. that my partner can do? Um, and, and most of the time with the omoplata, it's roll, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so having a good re-roll game, um, you know, check out Clark Gracie, check out bjjconcepts.net. Rob, Rob Bernacki showed me the re-roll and, and it's, it's a huge part of my game now. Mm-hmm. Um, and very rarely, do I ever, especially never on anyone any good, but I, I rarely do I ever enter the omoplata and, and the guy falls on his face and I finish the yeah. traditional way. You almost always have to be able to to follow the guy, re-roll, and then have some sort of finish on the other side. And it usually, yeah. my main control is the, I don't even know, think of it now, I don't even know if I'd ever call it double trouble, but you, it is control on the far side, whether it's the far, uh, like grabbing material on the far side or, or just capping off the far shoulder essentially it is double trouble it it is double trouble like i I would call it double trouble because because from my perspective the reason the omoplata the the traditional omoplata is hard to finish is because number one i'm on i'm on my back the other guy is in base right he's on his knees he's standing up unless by some miracle i'm able to just kick him right down onto his face but like you said that's like a five percent chance that that's going to happen there are strategies to do it but it's not it's not the easiest thing to do um but that's part of the reason you can't finish it from there is because number one in order to get i don't have double trouble and i need that far side control to be able to lock him down and the the way that you would normally get it if it is from the, the traditional way is that you try to like i call it climbing the mountain where the other guy is still on his knees and you're on your back and you're trying to climb up behind him to get to his far shoulder but then you could go for a ride real yeah quick. yeah that but then you're you're body tethering to him and you can really get hurt doing that whereas if you exploit that predictable response and you force him to roll <laughs> when you come up on top and he's on the bottom now it's real easy to get into yeah. a situation where you can lean over and connect to that far arm or, or get that far lapel grip and then he can't go anywhere. Yeah, and, and, and talking about the re-roll, I mean, I think the main thing to think about when you're doing the omoplata is always breaking your opponent's alignment breaking their structure by way of keeping their elbow open with uh with the shoulder and this isn't easily explained over audio but um definitely the i think the best way to do it is position your body so that the the shoulder is always compromised that's going to prevent your opponent from scrambling out of you know their role but preventing if, if you can get to a finishing position it prevents them from ever uh fully escaping their arm and pulling their arm out i don't know how we got on this omoplata topic but well it, it's a I really interesting just... example because like i think that the reason the omoplata is so hard for most people to finish is because you don't have double trouble. Like in most cases, right? And the situations where people do finish it are situations where they get it, right? I, th- I think that's why it's interesting and relevant to this episode. Whereas most of the other submissions we talked about, it's a lot more obvious. Like everyone kind of knows when you're going for an arm bar, you want to like pinch on the far side, right? It's a lot something that we're all trained about. Whereas with the omoplata... It's a very good example of how, if you really want to finish it, you do need that far side control. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, Matt, anything else you want to add on the topic of double trouble? Any other examples or ideas you want to share? I think the crucifix and the armbar and the 411 are kind of the main examples. And to a lesser extent, the Ashigurami positions. Um, although nowadays, man, it's hard. I find it hard to finish from the Ashigurami, to be mm-hmm. honest, uh, un- unless the guy's really sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, back, I think a few years ago, it was way easier to footlock people when there was less of this information out. But now I think mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot harder to finish good guys from there. But definitely, um, you know, just, just think about controlling the, the free arm or the free leg. I think a lot of great things happen. Um, it, it's just going to lead you to a better f- form of control and less mobility from your partner. And then of course that's going to lead to a submission. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a game changer for sure. And, and if you're not thinking about controlling the free arm or leg, definitely start thinking about that as you enter into these positions. Sounds good. So just to recap all of the mental models we talked about today, the primary one in the focus of this episode is double trouble. Basically this means opposite limb control. So when you are controlling one limb, whether it be an arm or a leg, you want to control something on the other side 
side as well. Normally, if it's an arm you've got, you probably want the far side arm. If it's a leg you've got, you probably want the far side leg, but that's not strictly required. You know, the one of the examples we gave was like the bow and arrow choke. In that, in that case, you've got a, a near side leg and a far side arm in order to finish. We talked about rotational control. The reason you want double trouble is because your opponent has the ability to rotate and spin out if you don't have it. Um, you want to prevent your opponent from being able to escape with rotating and spinning <laughs> escapes, whether it yeah. be, um, you know, like a rolling heel hook escape or whether it be a hitchhiker escape or an omoplata roll. Like you've got to have answers to all of those. We talked again about alignment, kind of the the unified theory here of the mechanics of jiu-jitsu. Basically, jiu-jitsu is a game of posture, structure, and base. You want to maintain those for yourself while taking them away from your opponent. We talked about the core mechanics of jiu-jitsu. So mostly this means levers, frames, and wedges. Um, in the context of double <laughs> trouble... Normally, when you're controlling an opposite side limb, you're probably using a wedge to do it. You're probably like sticking something on the far side, whether it be a part of your body or even the floor to lock movement on your opponent's far side arm or far side leg. We talked about kinetic chains, meaning that if you connect two parts of your body together, or, or even if you connect a part of your body with your opponents, it creates a stronger structure than if you just have one arm or one leg dangling on it by itself. We talked about committed techniques, meaning that whenever you do really anything, you want to bear in mind the risk of losing position if that technique fails. Uh, where this particularly came up today was talking about arm bars from top mount. We talked about body tethering, meaning that there is some moves are inherently risky. If you are trying to tie yourself to your opponent like a tether ball, if they still have base when you do that, you can go for a ride and get badly injured in some cases. Yeah, and, and even more dangerous if slamming is allowed or if you're yeah. rolling with a large spazzy exactly so as a general rule i highly discourage using any move where you are tethered to your opponent and they still have base it's okay to be tied to your opponent if they don't have base but if they have the ability to like get up or deadlift or put weight down on you you've got to be very very careful and last we talked about predictable responses meaning you want to understand that most strategies and techniques have a handful of predictable responses that you can expect and if you can be ready for them then you're able to immediately move into the next mm -hmm. step of your game uh, right away without any delay. And often that's enough to give you the edge over your opponent. Yeah, predictable predictable responses. Having that uh, foresight and structuring your game like that will most of the time bring you out ahead of the sequence and uh, in a place to either finish or be in great control. So definitely always think about if if my partner was applying this technique to me, what's what, what would be the first you know, three options that would come to my mind and then have answers for those options. Got it. Got it. Okay. So in terms of questions, um, Matt, we've got a question for you here. Um, someone was re listening to an earlier episode of ours and they like some of the topics that we brought up in terms of like doing things that your body feels comfortable with, you know, avoiding things that don't feel natural to your body, techniques that work against in self-defense situations, techniques that work against all sizes of opponents. And their question was, to what extent do these biomechanical principles that we're talking about, like alignment, for example, to, how does this come into play when we're talking about things that are more along the lines of like traditional self-defense? Like in the street? <clears throat> Presumably that's what it means. I mean, here's how I approach this question, right? Um, and, and, you know, my, my, uh, my DVD, shameless plug warning, it has been out for a few weeks now and I really appreciate all the support I'm getting on it. But, you know, these guys on YouTube, they, they will put out a trailer. Here we go again are, with the guys on YouTube. These guys are all like, <laughs> you know, this would never work in the street. This is so stupid. Going upside down is worth, it's like, listen, okay. <laughs> You'd be shocked at what could work in the street, okay? Uh, the fact is, you don't know what what you're who you're gonna fight. You don't know how big they're gonna be. You don't know if they have friends. You don't know if they have weapons. Okay, so the main thing that I'm thinking about is unless you're fighting um, an octopus, <laughs> the person is going to have a head, a torso, and four levers. And if they have three levers, you should probably be able to beat the shit out of them, unless they're Nick Newell. So <laughs> so limbs and levers and and posture and base all applies. So. You know, it, it, it all depends on what kind of a fighter you are by trade. It, it depends what they know, right? It maybe, maybe they, um, 
maybe they're a jiu-jitsu fighter, they're comfortable taking the fight to the ground, and, and I'm a, a Muay Thai fighter, I'm probably going to want to stand up and, and trade shots, and vice versa. Maybe Or maybe they're just some drunk dude who's really aggressive. He's probably going to come at you swinging. I'm a jiu-jitsu guy, so it's in my best interest to close the distance and get the fight to the ground where I can use use gravity and use the ground to my advantage or put them up against a wall where I'm, I'm quite comfortable to be. So, uh, you know, it, it's <laughs> nothing's going to work in every scenario. Um, but it, let's assume it's one on one. We're the same size. Um, and I don't know if, if they're equally trained, it's going to be <laughs> it's probably going to be a jujitsu match. I would love <laughs> but to a pull see guy. that on YouTube, like two guys uh, in a street fight and they, they guard pull and then there's bolos yeah. and then just, oh, I would love to see that. I would absolutely if, if anyone has a yeah. season video like like that like if two jujitsu guys in a street fight please send it to me i would love to see that yeah but like you'd be shocked at what can be effective in in a jujitsu scenario on the street like if you if you end up on the bottom and then somehow you get to like a deep half guard or you get to even an x guard of some sort that's enough where you can manage the distance and get an effective sweep get on top and get in a good position especially if the guy has never done jujitsu before that's definitely going to work so mm. um you know jujitsu works in the street i i you know i've i'm i'm a wholehearted believer that the that a lot of these positions can be very effective in the street and and um when we talk about alignment and how would these pertain to the street it's exactly the same if i was to, if i was to teach like a, a law enforcement officer uh which which i have several police officers and law enforcement uh personnel at my gym i always teach them about alignment because it leads to your your control over someone being much more efficient you being much more safe and essentially your body being a lot more stronger uh than your opponent's body if you if you utilize the concepts correctly so uh you know minimal effort for maximum effect is kind of what happens when you apply uh alignment to a situation makes sense makes sense yeah Um, and just the concept of of lever control like that is mm -hmm. so crucial when we're talking about controlling someone doesn't matter if it's in jiu-jitsu or, or in the cage or on the street. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and from my perspective, you know, I, I come in with the disclaimer that I know absolutely nothing about real-world fights and self-defense. I am not exactly experienced in getting into street fights. So take my opinion with a grain of salt, please. I'm far from, from an expert. Uh, I would say that... Um, you know, when you ever think everyone who starts jujitsu, they get into it because they want to be this like martial arts badass. But one thing that I can tell you after having trained for like 11 or 12 years now, the one thing I have learned is I never want to get into a real fight (laughs) ever under any circumstances because even fights are super unpredictable, even in the world of jujitsu, which is generally predictable compared to a real fight things are still super unpredictable. Like, you know, you can be sparring with a first day white belt and they can come up with some crazy way to tap you out. Like it happens, right? Or um, they, people can just do things that you don't expect. And and that's only talking about threats that you can see, right? You know, Matt, to your point, you don't know if you're really, if it's a one-on-one fight or if the guy's got buddies. You don't know if there are weapons involved. Like fighting is really unpredictable. And the best strategy for fighting is to avoid situations where fights could occur. By far, prevention is a better thing, is a better strategy than cure when it comes to fights the better question with fighting is not how do i how do i win in a fight it's how do i avoid situations where i could ever have to do this but that said in terms of using jiu-jitsu for self-defense i mean there are some there are of course a few differences i mean striking is definitely a difference you need to be wary of the fact that strikes can come in towards you but to matt's point Ultimately, at the end of the day, alignment is alignment, right? If I can break your alignment, and by that I mean like I can control your levers so that, and I can make sure you don't have base, it's going to be very hard for you to tee off on me effectively, right? If I can tie you up that way and use my jujitsu to break your alignment, then theoretically, assuming it's a one on one fair fight, I should be okay. Now, that said, fights are never predictable, so you never know what's going to happen or what's going to happen, but all the same, at the end of the day, if I can tie you up, I can control the distance. The fact that I have trained jujitsu with resistance should be enough to give me a competitive edge. So I, I would say that the main the main thing to bear in mind in, in self-defense is don't get into a situation where you have to use jujitsu to defend yourself. But if, if it does happen, um, the, the one thing I would suggest is if you're truly concerned about this, do some training with strikes or at least with baby slaps because it's really easy to forget that that's something that can happen in a fight. We get 
get so used to training and just like doing friendly jujitsu stuff that we forget that this is an option. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's actually, if you've got someone tied up in guard, it's actually not that difficult to, to some extent, shut down aspects of the striking game. But if you've completely forgotten that that's a thing that can happen, it's going to catch you off guard and that's never good in a fight. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think the same... The same rules of combat kind of apply to multiple martial arts and and even real world situations. Like, you know, the first thing you definitely want to do is manage the distance. You know, you don't want to be in range where you can get knocked out right away or, or you know, at, at hit with an object or whatever. Main, maintain distance. Run away if you can. If you have to engage, try and create a dominant angle where maybe you do a level change, right? Maybe you step to the side and then get in close and use your jiu-jitsu. Get the fight to the ground get it on the wall where your opponent can't can't land big strikes on you and i mean this is again this is assuming that you know they don't have a weapon on them uh if, if someone had a knife i'm not I, like i said pretty much exclude the second step on like make distance and get out of there because you do not want to be in close with a knife uh you know, the more distance that you create with uh, with with an aggressive person, the more time you buy to create strategy, to to escape, to create obstacles for your part uh, for your for the the person attacking you. So definitely think about always managing distance and gaining dominant angles where you can be more effective. You never want to go against <laughs> if someone's try if they have their hands up and they're looking to knock you out, you do not want to stand right in front of them in within range of them knocking you out. Mm -hmm. So yeah. and also just as a general rule, try not to pick a fight with like a D1 wrestler. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> bad news. Unless you know how to bear and bolo. Yeah. Unless you have my DVD, then you yeah. should definitely pick a fight with a wrestler. Yeah, it's well known that wrestlers cannot counter bolos. Like that's the one way to beat a wrestler is just bear and bolo all day long and they can't do anything about it. Yes. All right. Well, I, I think that wraps it up, Matt. Any other closing thoughts you want to add? Uh, I think nope. that's a nope. All right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Thanks, guys.